welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. Today we'll be talking to gym owner Tim Fisher of Revolution Gym Phuket on gym sponsorship. Uh, but first, some news. I've launched my Patreon. If you're listening, you're probably a subscriber to the Patreon. Members will get free access to all the content I create. I will be releasing only half my content publicly. The other half will be for Patreon members only. Additionally, in the second half, I'll try to include more news and analysis into the show. Each month, we'll cover a theme as well. So I'm doing the four-part series on sponsorship. This is episode number two on sponsorship. The members-only show will have a recap and analysis of the theme. So after the interview is over, after we go over our pick-a-fight segment, I'll also be talking about the way sponsorship has affected the gym and the athlete. Those are the two topics we've gone over already i'd also like to thank my reviewers chris romello from shred crom in the east coast also sergeant shock uh thank you guys for your nice recommendations jeff dohelio is still running his go filling me for his ifma documentary knockmoy legends is running a discount for their items so you can punch in his code dohelio to help support him uh, d-o-j-i-l-l-o thanks as always to patrick rivera for helping make this show possible uh, one of the things that i'm always trying to do is push the ydl the ydl had a very strong turnout at the tbas this year the youth def- Development League in America. It's a branch of the USMF. The TBAs are the Thai Boxing Association uh, tournament that's held in Des Moines every year. A massive tournament. Tournament. I think this year had 900 registered athletes. This year was the first YDL section of it, and it did very well. The USMF will be heading out to Bangkok next month. So I'll be covering that and hope to have some special projects uh, along with that. Um, I also hope to be launching a short video on the WBC fight between Chad Collins and Louis Kajaba, who I talked to Tim Fisher about this fight. And in my previous episode with Francis, I went over the bout itself. Uh, upcoming YDL events include August 10th in San Antonio, Texas, and August 16th to the 18th, the WKAs in Wilo. Uh, so, so a brief introduction on Tim Fisher. I met Tim while he was helping corner one of his fighters, Tajir, while Tajir was fighting at Max. Tajir had a successful run at the stadium there. Uh, also, he had a young fighter named Winnie there. Uh, Tim is an Australian with over 30 years of history in the sport. He originally comes from Sydney. When he was young, he was into karate. He got his black belt, and then shifted into Muay Thai. He promoted fights in Australia and moved back and forth between Thailand and Australia before deciding to settle in Thailand down in Phuket. It's sort of the northwest of Phuket. Six years ago, he started off his gym. Originally, it was just a small gym in someone's backyard. Two years later, they moved to Sarin, one of the beaches in Phuket. Then two years after that, they moved again uh, to their current location. Uh, The gym originally, or for a long period, was... um, Sitsong Pinong Phuket but they recently rebranded to Revolution Gym so they started off with some really exceptional trainers they had a lot of local stadium success and slowly built themselves up to move to the international stage catching those belts 
and have become pretty well known internationally. Uh, they have a host of good talent there. Chad Collins, who has been successful in the stadiums in Japan. Uh, Collins has beaten Sexon or Kwan Muang. Um, he recently fought Luis Kajaba for the WBC belt. Collins is a former Sanctinoi fighter who just got a little burnt out, took some time off, and came back to Revolution Gym. He's been doing very well so far. Uh, there's also Walter Gonzalez, a young Brazilian who is a two-time WPMF title holder. He's also the MX Moy Extreme Champ at 60 kilos. He's only 20 years old. He'll probably be shipped off and start fighting in Japan and internationally. There's also Magnus Anderson, who is a 70 kilo MX Moy Extreme Champ. Uh, he is ranked for with the WBC and will be fighting for the line fight belt later this year in Sweden. Then, of course, there's Tajir who's a two-time WMC World Grand Prix champ. So without further ado, my conversation with Tim Fisher. Thank you, Tim, for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Uh, so I want to talk to you about your fighters. You have a very strong international team uh, with fighters fighting both here in Thailand, uh, recently Chad fighting for the WBC belt, and also internationally uh, with Magnus and others fighting at Line Fight and other international promotions. Uh, could you tell me a bit about the fighters in your stable right now? Uh, yeah, we have a big group of fighters. They're all from different countries. Uh, Chad Collins, as you know, has been had a lot of success in the, in the stadiums and in Japan. Uh, he's uh, beaten the top two guys in Japan, fighting on uh, shoot boxing and and uh, the knockout promotion. Mm -hmm. uh, a fighter called Kato, who was on a big winning streak, Chad's be beaten him. And Fukushi, who's also uh, one of the top fighters there, who fights K1 as well as Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. uh, in the stadium, Chad knocked out the Rajdaman champion twice. He beat Saxon. Uh, uh, so he's become a big name in Thailand. Uh, mm -hmm. If we just quickly whip through them, Walter... Walter's had a lot of success winning the WPMF world title twice against higher opponents. He's the MX, current MX Moy Extreme champion at 60 kilos. Uh, he's had 68 fights and 60 wins. Lived in Thailand for a couple of years now. Uh, and at 20 years old, he's an exceptional talent. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks like he's going to be fighting in Japan uh, a little later this year and, uh, and, and uh, continuing with his success. Magnus Anderson's fighting for the Lion Fight Belt in uh, in August in Sweden. And uh, Magnus has been with us for a couple of years now. He's fought, he's ranked uh, about five in the world with the WBC. And mm -hmm. uh, he fought all the, basically, the cream of the cream of Muay Thai at, in Thailand at, at 70 kilos. He's the current MX Muay Extreme champion at 70 kilos as well. And he's a regular on Top King fighting the... The, the best Thai opponents available. Uh, yeah. We have Tagir as well from from Russia. Tagir's also been with us for a couple of years now. He's uh, two times WMC world champion, world Grand Prix champion. And uh, he's he's another one that's uh, this year who'll probably be fighting more, more overseas and in the stadiums. And uh, he's definitely a, a, a talent to watch. Salim so Khan, also from Russia, 72 kilos. Uh, he just won a WMC World Grand Prix. Another young, young, young talent. He's only 21. Definitely one to watch. Bay Bullet, 25 years old. He's like three times world champion. 26 years old. Uh, <laughs> three times world champion. <laughs> Is he 25 or 26? Uh, you know he's a heavy he's a heavyweight 
and uh, another one to watch. So uh, you have, yeah, you definitely have quite the statement. Am I going to go through all of these guys? Because it's oh, fucking. God, it's like it. <laughs> if I go through them all, there's like loads of them. And if I just do a couple and I miss out on a couple, and they hear it, they'll be like, "Oh, why didn't he talk about me?" Yeah. yeah. Well, the, I guess I just wanted a general idea. You obviously have a lot of high-level sponsor uh, fighters. What? How did they end up at the gym? Do you sponsor them? What sort of sort of deal do you have with them? Uh, <clears throat> so I don't. I, maybe I should just fucking ramble about sponsored fighters a little bit now. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll. I'll, I'll <clears throat> okay, so basically, I don't, I, don't, I don't have what what everyone calls sponsored fighters. How I see the term sponsored fighters is uh, people that are training for free in a gym and mm -hmm. uh, the gym's paying for them. Now, perhaps the gym's paying for them and they're getting something in return. I don't really have that. I have a professional fight team. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a deal with the pro fighters and uh, we, provide, we provide accommodation for them, of course, and we provide training. And uh, we take a percentage of, of their fight money. We manage them. Mm -hmm. uh, we advise them. And we, uh, we're very close to them. We're treated more, more like a family group than, uh, than employees. A sponsored fighter I see is someone who you have them a bit. And it's usually gyms that, that they want to be acknowledged as being able to train fighters. So they let some fighters train for free. So that they've got someone to fight in the local stadium so that they can say, oh, we've got fighters training here. These guys are usually not exceptional fighters and not of uh, such a good level. The way we have it is we have a professional fight team. Most of these guys have had 30, 40, 50 fights already. So they're already at a good level and we're, we're getting them often from a good amateur career into a good pro career. We do have in our fight team guys with less experience. These guys are usually paying and with, with the idea that once they get to a certain level, they can join the pro team as a, as a pro fighter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got different levels. We try and help people out as much as possible, but mm -hmm. it's not a free-for-all here. In terms of the professional fight team, what do they offer you besides a percentage of the, their purse? Is it and is the percentage different for every fighter, or is it across the board? Okay, I won't say what our percentage is on this thing. Basically, we have the same the same deal for for all the fighters. They all give the same percentage, whether whether they fight Muay Thai, MMA, or whatever. There's not different percentages for different guys. It's the same, so it's fair for everybody. And that's basically the only thing that they give you. They don't necessarily help out with the promotion or other aspects of the business look these days the the fight team the fight team here is more like a family these guys these guys help out with with maintenance of the gym they help out with with customers when customers come that that don't speak english you know there's there's a there's a bond between the, between us and and our fighters so they're helping us we're helping them you know, everyone has everyone has an Instagram account these days, and everyone has social media. So, we work promoting our own fighters, building their profile. They they work building the gym's profile. What do you feel is the difference between your professional fight team and a sponsored fighter? Okay, so uh, basically, how are most people perceive a sponsored fighter, and there's quite a few getting around in Phuket, is someone who trains for free. And uh, I think gyms, new gyms, gyms in Phuket that don't attract fighters, they have they often take a couple fighters, which they they give some uh, free free deal or some sort of deal, so that they can be acknowledged as a fighters' gym, so they can attract more fighters and attract more customers. For us, we don't have that trouble. You know, we're established already. Everybody knows that we have a good fight team. We attract the best best pro fighters from around the world and a host of other people, beginners that are all trying to lift their own level. So we don't have sponsored fighters to attract more fighters. We have a professional fight team 
and these guys are fighting. These guys are fighting top level. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're fighting. They're fighting in Bangkok. They're fighting abroad, the top level. We also have a semi-pro fight team, more like C and B class fighters. These guys mm-hmm. fighting in the local stadiums. They've had from zero to twenty fights, and these guys are trying to trying to lift their level. Basically, all our pro fighters live in the camp. Uh, we take a percentage when they fight. We manage them. We find them fights. We promote them. We make videos. We promote them. We promote them on social media. In return, they promote us on social media. It's a close-knit group. So when when guests come from other countries that don't speak English, those guys help. When the gym needs to be, you know, once once a month, we clean the mats upside down from the whole gym. Uh, it's the the team that get in there and do that together. We have cleaners, of course, in the gym, but these guys also help with the maintenance of the gym. With, uh, with taking care of things around the gym. You know, if we need to promote the gym and go to the markets and hand out some flyers, the guys get in, and all in, get in there and all help. You know, we, uh, we're a pretty close group and everybody's working together for, for, the, for the good of everyone. And how have you attracted a lot of these pro fighters? Is it always they're homegrown from, you know, the B and C level or... Are they coming in from the outside, and how do you decide if someone's going to be a good fit or not for the team? Look, we get we get people wanting to join the team all the time, contacting mm-hmm. me. Basically, what I say to anyone is, they come and pay first. Mm-hmm. They come for a month. They pay for a month for their training and accommodation. Then we can then we can see see their level, how they get on with everybody, how they train, how fight, how they listen. Then we can decide if we want them to join. Now, for example, we might have two or three 65-kilo guys. So mm-hmm. when somebody asks, oh, can I join your fight team or I want to stay in Thailand a long time, I can say, no, we don't have space because I w- we won't take more guys than we can look after. So how many people do you feel you can successfully look after? Mm, that's a good question. Professional fighters now, we have about 14 in the gym. Would I go more than that? Not, we're not looking for any more. As our MMA program grows, we'll, we'll add, a, add some MMA fighters to that. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably have another six MMA fighters. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go too many more than, than what we have now. Some guys go, overseas, go back overseas for the summer or they, they come and go, so the number fluctuates. It's like football. If we can add quality to the group, we can, we can take somebody. And if we have somebody... Say we don't have a 63-kilo fighter and somebody wants to join that's 63, then we consider it. But if somebody wants to join where we have a couple guys already top level, then we wouldn't, wouldn't usually take them in that weight category. Okay, so if we have a fighter who's had 50 fights and he's 65 kilos and someone who's had 15 or 20 wants, wants to join the team, we can consider it because those guys don't compete with each other for fights. They're fighting on different shows, and then we have a lot. We have a lot of guys that come every year, save mm-hmm. up, pay for their training, pay for their accommodation. They're investing in themselves. A big thing about this sponsorship business is you can train in a, a shitty gym for free, and the training is not going to be good, and your level isn't going to rise. Or you can pay to train in a good gym and get good training and train with the best guys, and this is where your level rises. So people have to decide whether they want to pay and improve and reach the great heights they want to get to or whether they just want to train for free because they're two different things. Training for free are two different things. And reaching the top level, it's not from training for free. Training for free means, you know, I see in Phuket guys training for free, fighting all the time, and I look at them fight. I see them at the shows. They fight. They don't improve. They fight. Nobody's really taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they stay stay in Phuket for a year or so and then they usually go home and they go home not much better than when they left mm-hmm. as opposed to guys that pay for their training, save up in their country, pay for their training. They're dedicated to their training because they're paying for it. They're mm-hmm. not lazy because it, the training doesn't have value for them because they're sponsored and it's for free. So they, they've saved up their money. They come and stay for six months or three months. They train hard, they're dedicated, and uh, because they've invested their money in their training, then their their level lifts and they're dedicated. And these are the guys that come once, come twice, 
advice. And then once they've got more experience, we're looking at adding them in a more full-time uh, spot in the sponsored fight team. I'm more likely to reward people that show that they're dedicated to the gym and come, come back, come back, and then join the team rather than somebody who has trained at two or three different gyms and think that they can come and, and join our team and train for free because I'm not, I'm not used to, not really interested in people that have, you know, trained at a bunch of places and just looking for another free ride. This, I think of things as long-term. We're invested in, in people's progression. We're invested in, in people's dreams. That doesn't come from people that are not committed to the gym because we're committed to the guys that are staying here. We're committed to the guys that are, that are paying. We kind of expect for our, our customers and our fighters to be committed to us. Yeah, that totally makes sense. In terms of the fight team, you said that uh, they all stay at the gym. Why is that? And is that, is that a necessary agreement for you? The guys stay at the gym. The guys that are the pro fighters stay, stay at the gym. The mm. customers either stay at the gym or stay at our hotel down the road from the gym, mm. unless they're staying in hotels and doing private lessons. Mm. Uh, why do we like to have them all at the gym is, is we, have a, we have a trainer wakes them up in the morning. Everybody mm. runs together. There's supervised running. There's a different running program every day. And, uh, and it's easier. People are more motivated if they're in a group. They're more motivated if they get up and everyone else is getting up. If they're somewhere down the road, comfortable in bed or in bed with some girl, they're not motivated to get up. And that's not what we're looking for from our pro fighters mm-hmm. and, uh, and the fight team and the, the guys training generally. You know, we want, to, we want everyone to be committed. And when they, our guys are running together, training together, they go and eat together. Some of them are cooking here at night together. And, uh, you know, they go down the beach together. Sometimes they're going surfing together or wakeboarding. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big family group, you know. When people um, stay outside the camp, whether they be customers or fighters, they're alone. They're alone in their hotel room. They're alone on their phone. They're alone. And then they come to the gym. They train a bit. They don't interact so much with people because often they don't have the confidence and they're you know, everything is just about training. And then they go back to their hotel room. They're alone. We prefer everyone to be together as a group, you know, and the experience is about not just about Muay Thai, but about being part of the team, being part of the group. And mm-hmm. that's for beginners as well. They, we like them to feel like they're part of the team. They're part of the group as well. They might mm-hmm. not be fighting, but they're part of the group. You know, they can come and watch the guys fight. They can still do the activities outside the gym when we have barbecues together or go to the beach. It's important for us that they feel like they're part of the group. The group isn't just the customers and the trainers because we have the customers, the trainers. We have my family. Mm-hmm. We have the Thai kids. We have the Thai kids' family. We have the trainers have their families here on site. So we've got a bunch of kids running around. This is what the group is. Revolution Gym isn't just the trainers and the fighters or it isn't just the pro fight teams. It's the revolution team, and the revolution team is our trainers, our fighters, their wives, their kids, the local kids. There's a bunch of local kids that there's some that are fighting Bangkok now that are based here. There's some fighting locally. There's a bunch of little ones that are that are just starting. They've just had their first few fights in the local stadium. This is what the revolution team is. It's all all of this together, and we like everyone to feel like they're part of the part of the greater good, if you like, part of, part of that group, whatever yeah. their level is. How do you manage all those different types of groups? Because you have, you know, the customers, the pro fight team, the trainers. Do you find it difficult to juggle everything or how have you made things work? The management we, we, we just we work on, <clears throat> I try not to control everything, everything myself. So, well, I try not to be the decision maker of everything myself. So I, I delegate different jobs to different people and then people know, okay, the trainers need something or they have some problem, they can talk to Sagapur and he can talk to me. Guys getting matched in local stadiums or some other other stadiums, they can talk with the trainer that, that who's training them. He can talk to Sagapur and he can match the fights. Mm-hmm. The the international fights and the fights in Bangkok, it's more goes through me. 
the guys that are coming that are the, some amateur fighters and some some people that are coming just to learn Muay Thai, their point of their point of contact is either my wife or the girls in the office. Uh, they, of course, can talk to the trainers as well. But most most problems or anything that happens can be sorted out kind of through the chain of command and that it uh, doesn't really need to get to me. So I don't end up having to fix locks on doors or, or fix air conditioners or TVs or make decisions about the smaller things that get sorted out by, by my staff at different levels. And uh, if it's something that a bit more serious that gets to me or if it's something that someone needs to talk to me about or something, then, then it can come to me as well, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. What is managing the fighters like on an international level versus on a more local level? Okay, so with with us, we have the we have a local level being in Phuket. So in Phuket, the fights are arranged and matched by my trainers, mm-hmm. and basically, basically it's controlled by them. Mm-hmm. So I don't have too much to do with that. The fights uh, in for example, in Top King, in MX, Tie Fight, Max, uh, this can be done either through through my head trainer or through me. We both with different promotions. We both both work directly with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the international fights, it's all through me. So when we're dealing with the promotions in Japan, in Dubai, uh, in France or the UK, then uh, or Australia, of course. Then this is usually done directly through me, mm-hmm. or China. You can't forget China. What has that experience been like? What have you learned over the years of uh, managing your fight team internationally? What have I learned? All promoters have an agenda. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more true. Uh, that they have an agenda. <laughs> like, how do you, as a fight manager, negotiate that? Look, as as a manager, we're as a manager. You're not only looking at as a manager. You're not only looking at money. You're looking at the fighter's career. So mm-hmm. uh, you have to think of of uh, okay. They're going to have the guys need the guys just need money. Okay, so they need money. You have to think of is this a good step for them in their career? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're going to fight guys with much more experience. Actually, often. And you have to look at the opponent and consider whether it's going to be dangerous for the fighter, whether he can win, whether he's got a chance, and what are going to be the benefits from that fight. So every fight you have to think about what, what could go wrong, what the benefits could be. And, uh, you know, we're, we're often taking fights where the odds are against us, but the fighter gets, uh, gets more experience, it's a better opponent becomes better from it, gets confidence that he's fought someone who's got a big name and he survived and he did well and he can look at ways that he can develop, he can look at ways that things that that guy did that was exceptional that he can add to his game. So when you look at uh, managing the fighter, you have to look at the fighter's progression, not just uh, how much money will come in from that fight because that's short term. I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. People go taking people to Burma to fight for five hundred dollars, where they're fighting with no gloves and they can get headbutted. And for me, I'm not going to put some one of my 22-year-old kids that's got a future in Muay Thai to get headbutted and have his nose broken on his face or to break his hands from the fighting with no gloves when it's it's not going to uh, prolong his career. It's probably going to jeopardise it. You really have to think of consider not only the value of, of the purse, but the value of uh, what the fighter is going to get from it in terms of uh, advancing his career, in terms of uh, his developing his skills and his uh, psychology and how, how, uh, how he's going to progress from it. You know, you have to factor in the fighter's last fights and what he needed to improve on and uh, the results, how that's going to affect his psychology. Does he need... Does he need a more challenging fight? Does he need an easier fight? Something which will give him more confidence. Maybe he's got coming back from an injury or he hasn't fought for a long time or, or he's coming back from being knocked out. These, these are the things that – the factors that influence your management of the fighter for the, for yeah. the actual fight. It's not like uh, professional boxing where 
no one wants to fight anyone who's gonna they're gonna lose against because they're protecting their record. In mm-hmm. Thailand, Thailand especially, the fights are often for gambling, which means it's got to be 50-50. Yeah. So uh, it's accepted to lose, but it's not accepted to fight badly. So you have to give 100% and fight well. And we're not uh, matching our fights just so we can win all the time. We're matching our fights so that we get better. And uh, if you fight the best guys, you get better. And this is how we've got guys with 50 fights that are beating guys with 200 fights and guys guys that are, uh, have had great success from staying in Thailand from fighting often and uh, improving all the time. The whole idea of the fight game really is to improve every fight. With this, you find your way to the top. How has managing different people been? Okay, I can tell you something. Uh, you know, some, sometimes sometimes you question when you lose or the fighter gets hurt, you question, question decisions that you've made, you know? Mm-hmm. Magnus Anderson, for example, fought Yod Fischer. Yod mm-hmm. Fischer's like beaten Sancho, beaten Sitting Dumb, beaten all of these guys. Magnus was on his way up. We put him to fight him in, uh, in China. Magnus got knocked out. Then I had to question whether whether that was right, the right decision. You know, had that crushed Magnus's confidence? You know, maybe that fight was too much too much for him. But uh, in, in this case, Magnus, had, I think he lost two fights in a row. And you're one with, with Yod Fischer. We worked on his, on his defense. And then he had a winning streak and, and won the MX title, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of that, you can you can take credit for some of that as being management, but a lot comes down to the fighter. Mm-hmm. comes down to his own his own mental strength. It's much harder to come back from a loss. And it comes down to uh, having the support from the gym to keep pushing them forward and make them believe in themselves, making them believe that they can come back and that they will be successful. And he's a... Uh, a fine example of somebody that did come back from a from a heavy loss against the top guy. Yod Vishal, I don't know if anyone's beaten him for the past couple of years. <laughs> His uh, Magnus came back came back from that bad knockout, won the MX title, and uh, you know in August he'll fight for the Lion Tight title. He's he's ranked number five in the world now. So sometimes you make decisions, and uh, if a fight doesn't go well, you question whether. Maybe it was too early to fight someone that good or maybe you made a mistake or maybe you underestimated someone. Basically, in life and the fight game, you have to live by your decisions and just control the things that you can control. So if you have made a bad decision about a match, you control the next match for that fighter a little bit better, be a little bit more cautious. Keep on trying at the end of the game. The whole, the whole game is about not so much about winning every fight, but it's about improving the fighter continuously. And if you can improve them con- continuously, they reach the top. And that's what we're aiming for with everybody. You said a bit about the fighter's psychology um, and how important that is. How do you feel you manage that? And can you manage that? Yeah, I think it's very important. I think often when, often when people train in Thailand and, and they can't speak Thai, or they're in a gym where there isn't somebody who, who's an English speaker who knows the fight game. Perhaps they they miss out a little bit if they lose, if they lose and things aren't going well. There's a little bit of a communication gap there of of, of how you can talk to them, how you, how they can how they can see a way out. You know, often uh, the psychology for Muay Thai with with ties is often the Thai boys they. They bully them a little bit, and they threaten them that if they're not successful, they're going to get sent home back out to the country. So the kids are a little bit scared to lose, you know. This, I'm generally speaking. So this is what the ties have grown up with, and sometimes they try to use the same sort of thing for foreigners, but it doesn't work because it's people are different, you know. It's different different countries. I think that's where we have a little bit of an advantage because. With a lot of experience, you can you can help the guys. I mean, sometimes in those camps, I'm talking about in other places where there's not so much experience or not a, a native speaker, the fighters might rely on other guys, other boxers in the camp to to help them through difficult times and to help them prepare mentally for fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't mean that uh, you know if you're not with us that you're not going to get it. You can get it from different different avenues, but it is something important, and I think it's. Uh, it's very important for the fighters' development to understand how they can improve 
their mental state, with their training, their discipline, with their diet, with their mental preparation for a fight. As everybody knows, this is an important part of all sport. Mm-hmm. Do you have the guys uh, like listen or look into sports psychology stuff at all? Look, look, I, I read books all the time. Mm-hmm. I had a really good book at one stage that that I the fighters passed around the gym. It was like mental training for combat sports or something that I lost. Probably want to get another copy of it. But uh, I read I read stuff on on sports performance, sports psychology uh, regularly, and put that into practice regularly. So I'm always I've I've cornered a thousand fights, and I'm always trying to develop more as a trainer. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's only so much you can take in skill wise, mm-hmm. and then the next step is. How can you be a better trainer? It's got to be the psychology and the way and the way that you can get the the fighter to perform at at the highest level. What are some of the things that you've learned to get fighters to perform properly, especially when you're in the corner with them? Something that you learn is all people are different, and all that's guys, girls. You can know, you can think of your own family members how. One brother's different to another brother or has a different personality. And the same thing is with fighters, you know. Uh, some people are motivated differently. Some people, you can you can speak to them very softly and nicely and they're going to understand everything. Other people need to be G'd up a little bit, try and get their, their blood boiling a little bit to get the best out of them. Uh, you know, sometimes you need to shout at people to uh, – Put a rocket up their ass and uh, and get them get them to uh, respond. But the main thing is everybody is different. So something that works on one person won't work on another. So it's a matter of uh, learning through experience what what your fighters what your different fighters respond to, and what's going to help get the best out of them. Magnus, for example, I have to try and keep calm because he wants to kill everyone. I have to keep him calm, and then when it's time to go, I let him off the leash. Mm-hmm. As, you know, so to speak. There's other people that we just talk calmly between rounds. There's other people that I need to fire up a little bit. Every, everybody's a little bit different, and it's a matter of learning what, learning yourself with the personality what what they need mm-hmm. to to get the best out of them. So it comes down to experience. And it's in cornering them that you learn that, or just having them train with you. Where do you learn those sort of facets? Uh, I think corner. I think cornering them. Yeah. I think cornering. I, ju- I think well, generally, if you'd say, "What do I do when I'm cornering them?" Anybody is first. I let them breathe when they come to the to the corner. I let mm-hmm. them breathe, recover a little bit, and then I don't try and tell them a story about the whole fight. I'm just simple about what they need to be careful of and what they need to do in the next round. It's not long-winded. It's it's usually fairly short, and uh, sometimes I get them to repeat it back to me. Usually, if they're a little bit less experienced, I make sure they acknowledge that that uh, they understand, and then we go from then we go from there. That's generally speaking. The last part I wanted to talk about was a, a little bit of the fight with Chad and Louise. Um, what did you generally think of the fight? Uh, what did I think of the fight? Look. There's one where maybe I have to question whether I should have get got Chad to fight out of his weight division against someone a little bit a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chad normally fights 43 to uh, like 145 pounds. This was 147 pounds with a, with another day weighing. Uh, Luis uh, usually if he fights same day as 154, so you could see that physically he's obviously bigger than Chad. Regardless of that, that's my decision to accept the fight mm-hmm. uh, and it's a fight that we still thought that we we could win mm-hmm. and uh, because it was so close you could say that you know it was definitely winnable for, for Chad you know Louise showed that he was strong he controlled the match well Chad had a very good fourth round and came back the gambling kind of controls things in the stadium mm-hmm. it's not like uh, if if the fight was somewhere else you could probably say Chad would have won that fifth round and the, the fight would be Chad's because of how things are with the gambling. You sort of need to come across, come over the top of somebody and then sit back and and 
and uh, win the fight. Mm-hmm. If you come, if you come and come and go back, come and go back, come and go back. It's not not as uh, influential. We came very close to we came very close to winning, and we didn't. You know, it is it is what it is. Sometimes this comes down to experience. Chad's fought a handful of times in the stadium. Luis Moore, he's had a run of fights in in Lumpini. This 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 helps them in in the decision making. The decision making in the stadiums in the corner isn't the same as the decision making in the corner in Japan or on Top King or or these places because it's not influenced by the gambling. So, you know, this this is ex- experience as well. Yeah. Experience for me, experience for Chad, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll we'll uh, keep on getting better with more experience, and we'll uh, go and win that Lumpini belt. This I can guarantee. What's next for him? Chad will fight at Lumpini next month. Mm-hmm. Against, I think against Pong Suri, who's ranked one in the stadium, mm-hmm. who Chad's beaten before. So I think either Pong Suri or his twin twin brother. Okay. Now that fight will suit Chad more, I think, because Luis is more of a counter-fighter mm-hmm. and is strong. So Luis kind of waited and then would sort of take some punishment and then try and strike back with the, with his power and showed that he was strong in the clinch. Uh, Pong Suri and Sam Suri are more walk-up fighters, so they'll try and bring the fight to Chad. This fight, sort of fight, Chad's not one for playing possum. There's, that fight will suit him better, I think. That'll be uh, more more chance to see the, the real shark in action. Cool. So that is good for the interview. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time out today, Tim. Great. Thanks very much for the interview. So that concluded our interview with Tim Fisher. It was really great to talk to him. If you didn't notice right away, we sort of, or he sort of threw out the idea of sponsorship as something free. Something that we saw with Yolanda when we talked to her as well. Sponsorship is not a one-way street. It's a relationship. And I think a lot of times sponsorship gets mislabeled or defined inaccurately fighters at revolution help with marketing customer service they're picked very slowly through the process Um, Tim talked about how he picks people for the fight team usually it needs to be a pro fighter with 30 plus or more fights which means a fighter is making at least 50 to 20k um, you know a fight for the gym also by having these fighters that are essentially loyal customers that come back and back and back he's vetting them and keeping out cancerous people you know people that are not going to be a good fit right away don't get sponsorship they're not given anything you know they they pay and then you can very clearly see it's not going to work out. I think one of the really big key things that Revolution Gym offers to their pro fight team is the management. He talked about how important it is to pick the right fights. It's also something we talked about with Francis. How important managing fighters is in growing their careers. You have to, of course, understand that income is a factor, both for the gym and for the fighter. If the gym is hurting for money, they definitely have problems picking the right fights. I definitely see it out here in Thailand where a gym or the gym owner might be having financial problems, so they throw a fighter into a fight that they might not usually take. If the business is built correctly, the fighter is able to get the fights that they need. Um, And sort of understanding where the fighter is in their career, if they've taken a loss, you know, maybe a tune-up fight, or if they're doing well, okay, you push them further. Uh, Another aspect of management that we saw with Tim is really understanding where motivation comes from. And that just comes from working with these fighters over and over and over another reason why 
sort of transitioning from a, a paying customer very slowly to a sponsored fighter makes sense because then the gym owner and the staff gets a really good look at the fighter in the corner they understand how to motivate them when they fight how to use instructions well and really can capitalize on the fighters development the other big thing that we saw or that we're sort of really discussing in this series on sponsorship is how much pay to play is involved in america at least you don't make any money fighting if you're a pro fighter maybe a couple thousand dollars but you know if the show even covers your uh expenses you're not really making out with that much after all the diet stuff your training blah 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 in thailand you can make money but to get there, you have to be managed correctly, and you still need a lot of support. Uh, recently, there was an article published in ESPN entitled Andrew Cancio Still Juggling Two Worlds, World Champ and Full-Time Construction Technician. He was still working his full-time job while trying to fight. He's basically paying to play, using his job income to support his secondary potential career as a fighter and it was only Concio isn't even shifted over into a full-time fighter and he's a world champion in when you're deciding on a career you need to understand where that transition point is you have to be able to fully support yourself as a fighter on your purses alone um, or sponsorships you know some sort of business relationship with other people before you can go independent before you can throw away other sources of income that's why understanding sponsorships and business relations is so crucial for fighters if they're not if they don't understand the economics of their situation and potential hurdles of going independent they're going to fail in their fight career so i would say as a general guideline in muay thai you need to be having a purse of about 40k or more uh in order to not be working you need because you need to be doing visas you need proper nutrition you need a nice place to stay you know maybe your gym is sponsoring you but they're getting half so if you're making 40k okay that means you're taking home 20k which is okay and will cover some of your base expenses especially if the gym covers your living arrangements but still it's not going to be that easy so going over pick a fight we haven't talked about a few of the fights that um, have happened since uh, I picked them. So the first one was, of course, Chad versus Louise. Um, I'm very happy I picked that one correctly. Really, being there live, you could definitely see the size advantage for Louise. And he just had this stadium experience that I think heavily played in his favor you know he knew where he was in the fight especially during that pivotal fifth round uh chad put up a great fight you know there's basically no losing in that situation for either fighter it's a great great venue great prize you know it was a good interesting fight um and chad will definitely still be in the mix still also, Alma versus Stamp. Alma Unico from Australia fought Stamp Fairtex. Uh, again, I'm very happy I picked that one right, especially after the first, my first picks for the A-Man tournament. For one, went to total, totally downhill. Who, who could have picked that though? Uh, so Stamp looked pretty good in that fight. He gassed out um in the fourth and fifth round um you know knowing her personally she had some issues in camp 
just minor injuries. I don't think she had the best of fight nutrition after her weigh-ins. Um, and But she still very, very easily handled Alma in those later rounds. Uh, she showed her experience and did a great job. Uh, we'll see what happens with Stamp in the future. Um, Alma Uniku, 18 years old, fighting on the world stage, you know, for decent money. She's got a bright future ahead of her. You know, she's contracted with one. It's a great opportunity for her. Speaking of one fights, the fight I'm going to pick uh, is a kickboxing fight between Jenna Todd and Killer B. So, Killer B Kai Ting Chuang from Taipei. This will be on the one championship Masters of Destiny fight in Kuala, Kuala Lumpur on the 12th of July. Headlining the bout is Petrosian versus Pet Morikop, which should be very interesting. So Todd is trying her hand at kickboxing. Uh, I think she's going to do very well and should adjust to Kai Ting Chuang's fighting uh, pretty well. Brian Popejoy is a very, very smart trainer. I think potentially this will not go the distance. Janet is bigger, stronger. I think she has better technique and she understands what Kai Ting Chuang is going to do. Um, I think also Kai Ting Chuang is much smaller. Uh, seeing her in person, she's smaller than Stamp. Uh, and Jenna is taller than Stamp. Also, I just don't think she has the power to really hurt Jenna. Um, I think if Jenna is able to lock Kai Ting Chuang down, really press her against the ropes, it should be a relatively easy night for Jenna. Uh, Jenna is obviously being developed by one championship, which is awesome and really interesting to see. The promotion is expanding into America at some point soon, so I assume Jenna Todd will be a flag bearer for the promotion, which, you know, is great. Janet works super hard for where she's gotten to and is a great role model for the sport. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been episode this has been episode four of On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people.